Broadcasting live from the KVXL studios at Liberty Baptist Church in Las Vegas. Freedom is never more than one generation away from extinction. The Frittle Show with Crystal Heath. I've said that we must be cautious in claiming God is on our side. I think the real question we must answer is, are we on his side? Faith, family, freedom. For me, it's very simple. I think we've got to we've got to get the country back on the right track with the most inspiring agenda a voice in the desert now here's crystal heath hey guys happy thursday to you i'm excited about this thursday excited about it for many many reasons one because tomorrow is friday that means it's just one more day until i get to sleep until the sun comes up it's really dark at 5.15. It really, it's it's dark. It was so dark this morning, even Lip, my puppy, Liberty, she, uh, usually when my first alarm goes off, she is up, man. She is like, lick the face. Come on, Mom, it's time to eat breakfast. All right, you're not going to get up until the second alarm. Okay, I'm just going to lay here, I'm going to lay here, I'm going to lay here, I'm going to lay here. And then as soon as the second alarm goes off a couple minutes later, she is, it's like full-out attack mode. No, but this morning, she was like, first alarm goes off. Why? 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 Are we supposed to be awake? I don't think we're supposed to be awake. Do you see how dark it is outside? Second alarm goes off. She just rolled over and looked at me like, for real? Is it time to get up already? And I thought, I hear you, dog. I hear you. I do. We're speaking the same language. <laughs> but I'm excited because John Stone Street... From the Colson Center, he is going to be joining us at the bottom of the hour. One of my favorite apologetics teachers, motivational speakers. I love John Stone Street. He's with Focus on the Family in the Colson Center. He does the breakpoint commentaries that we play. And uh, and he's going to be here, and I am pumped to have him with us. Like, literally pumped. Like, the Broncos are playing tonight. I'm eating pizza and... And John Stone Street's going to be on my show type of pumped. That's what kind of day it is. Also, probably doesn't hurt that like I'm exhausted, and so we're going with some caffeine here because I don't know what happened from last night to this morning, but apparently my body did not think that enough sleep occurred because... Wow. Or maybe my brain was just like, it's September... Where did the rest of your year go? But it is September, you guys. And September is the month that football returns. For real football. Like, I enjoy preseason football, but for real football is coming. September is also the month that the Band-Aid was created. Praise Jesus for September. The first New York Times was published in September. See, Satan's got some work going on in September, too. <laughs> You're listening to The Frittle Show on KVXL. Yes, I just cracked myself up. This is Experience Liberty Radio from Liberty Baptist Church. We're located on Rainbow and Lake Mead Boulevard. If you'd like to join us some Sunday morning, our services are at 9.30 and 11.15. You have questions, suggestions, comments, want to be part of the show, you can email us at radio at experienceliberty.com or call 702-647-4522. And, of course, you can find me on Twitter at... The Frittle. All right, so we're going to start the day with a history lesson. Because if we don't learn from history, we are what? You know the quote, right? If we don't learn from history, we're doomed to repeat it. So, 
on this day in history, 1939. Any guesses? You guys know? September 1st was the day that the Germans invaded Poland at 4.45 a.m. Now that's just cruel. 4.45 a.m. Talk about it being dark outside. 4.45 a.m., some 1.5 million German troops invaded Poland all along its 1,700-mile border with German-controlled territory. Simultaneously, the German Luftwaffe bombed Polish airfields and German warships and U-boats attacked Polish naval forces in the Baltic Sea. Nazi leader Adolf Hitler claimed the massive invasion was a defensive action, but Britain and France were not convinced, and on September 3rd, they declared war on Germany, initiating World War II. This is from History.com. To Hitler, the conquest of Poland would bring Liebenstrom, or living space, for the German people. According to his plan, the racially superior Germans would colonize the territory and the native Slavs would be enslaved. German expansion had begun in 1938 with the annexation of Austria and then continued with the occupation of the Sudanland and then all of Czechoslovakia in 1939. Both had been accomplished without igniting hostilities with the major powers and Hitler hoped that his invasion of Poland would likewise be tolerated. To neutralize the possibility that the USSR would come to Poland's aid, Germany signed a non-aggression pact with the Soviet Union on August 23, 1939. In a secret clause of the agreement, the ideological enemies agreed to divide Poland between them. Hitler gave orders for the Poland invasion to begin on August 26th, but on August 25th, he delayed the attack when he learned that Britain had signed a new treaty with Poland promising military support should it be attacked. To forestall a British intervention, Hitler turned to propaganda and misinformation, alleging persecution of German speakers in eastern Poland. Fearing imminent attack, Poland began to call up its troops, but Britain and France persuaded them to postpone their mobilization until August 31st, in a last-ditch effort to dissuade Germany from war. But shortly after noon on the 31st, Hitler ordered hostilities against Poland to begin at 4.45 the next morning. So at 8 p.m. on August 31st, Nazi SS troops wearing Polish uniforms staged a phony invasion of Germany, damaging several minor installations on the German side of the border. They also left behind a handful of dead concentration camp prisoners in Polish uniforms to serve as further evidence of the supposed Polish invasion which Nazi propagandists publicized as an unforgivable act of aggression. Then at 4.45 a.m. on September 1st, the invasion began. Nazi diplomats and propagandists scrambled to head off hostilities with the Western powers, but on September 2nd, Britain and France demanded that Germany withdraw by September 3rd or face war. At 11 p.m. on September 3rd, the British ultimatum expired, and 15 minutes later, British Prime Minister Neville, Neville Chamberlain went on national radio to solemnly announce that Britain was at war with Germany. Australia, New Zealand, and India followed suit shortly thereafter, and at 5 p.m., France also declared war on Germany. In Poland, German forces advanced at a dizzying rate, employing a military strategy known as the Blitzkrieg, or Lightning War, with armored divisions smashing through enemy lines and isolating segments of the enemy, which were encircled and captured by motorized German infantry, while the panzer tanks rushed forward to repeat the pattern. Meanwhile, the sophisticated German air force, the Luftwaffe, destroyed Polish air capability, provided air support for the Blitzkrieg, and indiscriminately bombed Polish cities in an effort to further terrorize the enemy. The Polish army was able to mobilize one million men, but was still hopelessly outmatched in every respect. 
Rather than take a strong defensive position, troops were rushed to the front to confront the Germans and were systematically captured or annihilated. In a famously ill-fated strategy, Polish, com Polish commanders even sent horsed cavalry into battle against German heavy armor. And by September 8th, German forces had reached the outskirts of Warsaw, having advanced 140 miles in the first week of the invasion. Despite their declaration of war against Germany, Britain and France did little militarily to aid Poland. Britain bombed German warships on September 4th, but Chamberlain resisted bombing Germany itself. Though Germans kept only 23 divisions in the West during their campaign in Poland, France also did not launch a full-scale attack, even though it had mobilized over four times that number. There were modest assaults by France on its border with Germany, but these actions ceased with the defeat of Poland. During the subsequent seven months, some observers accused Britain and France of waging a phony war because with the exception of a few dramatic British-German clashes at sea, no major military action was taken. However, hostilities escalated exponentially in 1940 with Germany's April invasion of Norway and May invasion of the Low Countries and France. In June of 1941, Hitler attacked the USSR, breaking his non-aggression with the Soviet Union, and Germany seized all of Poland. During the German occupation, nearly three million Polish Jews were killed in Nazi death camps. The Nazis also severely persecuted the Slavic majority, deporting and executing Poles in an attempt to destroy the Polish culture. A large Polish, re Polish resistance movement effectively fought against the occupation with the assistance of the Polish government in exile. Many exiled Poles also fought for the Allied cause. The Soviets completed the liberation of Poland in 1945, and then establish a communist government in the nation. Now, why would I start with that? It's kind of really uh, a sad way to start the show, isn't it? I start with that because sometimes we forget. Sometimes we forget history. Sometimes we don't talk about what led up to major events of history. And sometimes we don't think about the events that led to future events. Like... Britain and France declaring war on Germany and then not really doing anything to help the Polish people. And how many Poles, how many Jews were killed by the Nazis in that year span when, when Britain and, and France and India and Australia really did nothing to help them. I wish that my opa was still alive. I would have had him on the show today to talk about this because uh, my grandfather is, is was German. He grew up near the Polish-German-Russian border. And uh, at one point, I believe my great-grandfather actually fought for each of those three armies, just depending on where the lines happened to be drawn uh, at the time. And my grandfather's family eventually fled Germany for the United States. And his story, I, I really wish that someone had recorded it because it's just incredible. And he'd tell us stories of running away from U.S. fighter planes across potato fields and how he was shot at as a child by U.S. fighters. Now, he never blamed the U.S. or said that they were shooting at civilians intentionally or anything like that. It was, it was never like that. But he saw the war from a very different angle. And he really helped me gain a deeper and different perspective on World War II. Because he's, my, dad's, my dad was adopted, so this is my dad's birth father. And I didn't know him until my late teens but getting to know him was such a joy, and he was such a fascinating man. I will never forget the conversations that we had about Nazis and Nazism and how we talk about good people who were Nazis. 
how he'd say that they didn't agree with Hitler and they they didn't agree with Nazism, but they didn't think they had a choice. Or how in the beginning Hitler's ideas sounded good, but they didn't realize how it would work out. And he'd talk about the heroes, the people that you thought were Nazis, but they weren't at all, and how they'd hide Jews or smuggle things to those who were hiding, or, or how they'd use the horrible position that they were in and attempt to do some good with it. And I remember how outraged he would become if I dared to generalize the, that German people and pastors somehow empowered Hitler. And you know, as Americans, that's not an easy concept to wrap our brains around. One, that perhaps some Nazis were actually good people in a bad situation. And as a whole, no one can argue that Nazism is evil. And my grandfather would have agreed wholeheartedly. That's why his family fled Germany for the United States during the war. And no one can argue that what the German people allowed and represented in World War II was evil. But in our generalizations, we sometimes tend to overlook the good. And in addition to that, we tend not to see the deep issues or understand the history or consider what caused these events to happen in the first place. Because we like easy answers. And it's easy to simply say that the Nazis were evil. And they were. But it's much harder to ask, what brought the Nazis into power? It's much harder to ask, what if Martin Luther's anti-Semitic teaching perhaps fueled Adolf Hitler and helped him capture pulpits across Germany? It's much harder to understand how and why not just a few, but many, many German pastors joined the SS, the most despicable branch of Nazism. And we tend to brush aside these questions that require thought and consideration, the questions that cause us to squirm. And when people say that Hitler's campaign promise was to make Germany great again, we scoff at them as ridiculous bigots, or we point fingers and we say, I told you so. Because it's hard. It's hard to take an honest look at history and realize that without the genocide, without World War II, stay with me now, Hitler would have been revered potentially as one of the greatest world leaders of all time. Again, let me state again, Hitler was evil. Nazism uh, was and is evil. And I, I don't have time to get into all of this deeply today, but do some research on your own. Check out what Hitler did for the German people prior to World War II. Look into what he did for their economy. How he ensured vacation time. How he empowered workers. How he rebuilt infrastructure that had been in shambles since the First World War. So there are reasons that the German people voted for and supported Hitler. And they were willing to overlook things about him that should never have been overlooked because of other things that he did. And they said, you know what? Look at all this awesome stuff he's doing and what he's promising and how he's helping us to rebuild. And other people would say, but look at this. Look at what he believes. And people would say, it doesn't really matter. It's not like we're electing a pastor or something. It doesn't really matter what his philosophy is in life as long as he governs well. 
Well, I'm telling you, in Germany, prior to the war, Hitler governed Germany well. I'm not, and I'm not talking about the oppression right now. Obviously, Nazism at its core is, is evil, and all of it is evil, and the way uh, that the, the oppression was evil. I'm talking about economy. I'm talking about infrastructure. I'm talking about the practical political stuff. See, Hitler didn't just smash his way into power. He won people's hearts and he won people's minds. He promised hope and he brought change. You know, when we look at history and we say, how is it possible that Hitler was ever brought into power? How could people support someone so blatantly evil? But we never actually answer those questions, do we? We, we fail to consider that even Hitler was supported by the masses and democratically elected. And how on earth did he do that? How did he convince so many people to go along with him? When obviously the philosophy that he held, the belief system that he held, was disgustingly evil. And yet he was elected. And I very much fear that if we don't answer these questions, the world is in danger of seeing this same evil rise again. It will simply have a new face and a different name. And we have to think about more than, than, than simply our economy when we are appointing and choosing our leaders. There are many, many things to consider, and a person's philosophy will dictate, ultimately, how they govern. Just a little little food for thought this morning, since it is the anniversary of Germany's invasion of Poland, which effectively uh, began World War II. And we need to remember these things. We need to think about these things. We need to consider those who have gone before us and what we can learn from them. All right. Should we talk about something not so not so serious? I think we should. I think we should. So let's talk about social isolation. I know. <laughs> That's not even a word. Social isolation and how it's potentially as bad for your health as smoking? This is from iNews in the UK. Uh, having a small social network is as bad for your health as smoking, according to a new study. Researchers from Yale University showed that a person's position in the social network is associated with blood markers for stress. They discovered that the more people who would call you a friend, the lower the levels of fibrinogen... I don't know how to say this word, but it's apparently something that you have in your body. A predictor of heart attack and stroke in your blood. However, reeling off a long list of those we consider friends does not have the same effect. The number of friends and relatives named by an individual reflecting the perceived social network is only weakly related to fibrinogen levels. The association be between social isolation and fibrinogen is comparable to the effect of smoking. 
and greater than that of low education, a conventional measure of socioeconomic disadvantage, the scientists said. What matters is how others see us, not how we see them. Ischemic heart disease, also known as coronary heart disease, and stroke are the biggest health risks of social isolation, and these conditions are also the two leading causes of death worldwide. Wow. Research published last month showed that 1.3 million older people spend two months a year alone. The survey of 1,000 over 65-year-olds found 11% said they spend five days or more a month without seeing anyone. The scientist writing in the journal Proceedings of the Royal Society said the magnitude of the relationship is considerable with social isolation in our study pop social isolation I don't know why I keep saying isolation isolation in our study population predicting elevations in fibrogen comparable to the effect of smoking. Interesting. Interesting. So I read that and to an extent I agree with it. Because God made us for the purpose of, of fellowship with himself and then with others. But I also wonder if this study took into account personality types and or age levels. I'm thinking this is probably more relevant as you get older. But uh, just putting that part aside, as far as personality types, I'm an ISTJ myself if you're into the whole letter acronym stuff. And so being as that is my personality type, I find being around... Most people very draining. It's not that I don't like them. It's not that I don't like you. It's just that people drain energy from me. That's my personality type. Other people gain energy from being around people. It's just we're made differently. How you gain energy. Some people gain energy by being around people. Some people gain energy by by some quiet, by some alone time. I have a friend that's all into personality types. Maybe we'll get her on the show and talk about this some more. But... I'm wondering if if the introverts were properly accounted for in this study. Because some people do gain strength from being alone rather than being with people. And I, I honestly I'm one of them. I really I I I do well if I have some alone time. I love all you guys. I really do. But every once in a while I have to be without people to refuel. So not that uh, um, wow I just got a really weird text message anyway and, and strikingly enough not actually from a person from some sort of machine today's programming is brought to you by Krispy Kreme Donuts fundraising opportunities Krispy Kreme fundraisers are available year round they can take place over one to two days or one to two weeks if your educational religious community or charitable cause is looking for a fun way to meet your financial goals Krispy Kreme can help Krispy Kreme provides free fundraising materials for your use and you can visit KrispyKreme.com fundraising or your local Krispy Kreme to learn more our thanks to Krispy Kreme for their support of KVXL programming. All right, we've got to take a break. When we get back, we're going to have John Stone Street here with us. This is Francesca Battistelli with He Knows My Name. Don't go away. And welcome back. You're listening to The Frittle Show on KVXL 101.1 FM here in Las Vegas. We're very blessed this morning. We have uh, John Stone Street is with us. Uh, Mr. Stone Street is the president of the Colson Center. He's the host of Breakpoint, which we play every afternoon here on KVXL. He's an incredible speaker. 
an author. I, I doubt that he remembers this, but once upon a time, I got to sit at the same lunch table as he did. We were at a conference in Colorado. I was at a crossroads in my life, right? I'm trying to decide if I should go all out politics or ministry. And, uh, you know, I've got family and friends that all have strong opinions on this one way or the other. And I'll never forget, John looked me square in the eye and said, do both. He's like, we don't have nearly enough Christians in politics and clearly God's gifted you in ministry, so do both. And at the time, I remember thinking, you know, I liked you. I really liked you up until this moment because that's just not happening for Crystal. How would that even work out? And now a couple years later, here I am hosting a political talk show on a Christian radio station employed by a local church. So there you go. Basically, all that to say, if you enjoy the show, John's one of the people that you should thank for that. So, John, welcome to the program. Hey, thanks. Well, I'm glad that worked out. A lot of times I give advice, and it's the wrong advice. But, uh, <laughs> at that point, at that point, I was just copying uh, uh, was it uh, John Newton who uh, you know advised uh, William Wilberforce. So that that was a pretty easy. Uh, that I was just quoting somebody else. Okay. All right. All right. I'll, I'll give you that one, but. <laughs> But it really was. That was uh, that made a big impact on, on what I was doing and some decisions that I was making then. So I appreciate that a lot. And your ministry has had a huge impact on my life and I know the lives of so many people around the country uh, through Breakpoint and other things. And, you know, we are Breakpoint here on our station, like I said, every afternoon. And I was listening, I think it was about two weeks ago or so, you did a Breakpoint about the election and the judgment of God. And that's something that I don't think a lot of people, particularly Christians, are especially comfortable with thinking about, let alone talking about. Uh, but you mentioned a biblical phrase that really caught my attention. You said, and God gave them over. Can you tell us a little bit about that? Well, yeah, Mitch, uh, one of our staff writers at the Colson Center um, says that's the five spirit words in the Bible. And I think sometimes we think about the judgment of God in terms of... Um, you know, a hurricane or a calamity, a natural disaster, a war, or something like that. And certainly, he does move history in those ways uh, if we look throughout Scripture. But the most common way, at least according to Romans 1, uh, that we uh, receive, I guess, judgment for our uh, sins is uh, by the natural consequence of what's happening. In other words, it's, it's God pulling a restraining hand off of it. And uh, so, so, and God gave them over as a phrase just kind of out of Romans, is that when people exchange the worship of God for the worship of the creation instead of the Creator, then God gave them over. God just said, here, do it your way. See how that works out for you. Mm-hmm. And I think that's the most common way that we see the judgment of God uh, take place. And I think there's indication uh, that, uh, at least from this election season, at least my, from, from my point of view, um, there's, there's, there's some strong indication that's what's happening now. Yeah, and you know, you also said the most important thing about this election is not who wins. And that's just that's that again, most people are gonna throw up like five million red flags and be like, Yes it is But you're like, it's not really about who wins, it's about what it reveals about our society. So Well, yeah, listen politics is almost always not always. And I'm not saying it's irrelevant, I'm not saying it doesn't matter. I think what 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 uh, when God calls people he often calls them into politics. Sure. But, Politics most often is a reflection of culture. Uh, it, it creates culture as well, but it most often is a reflection of culture. And, and particularly, I think, in the sort of government that we have, we tend to get uh, those leaders that we deserve. Now, I, I, I think absolutely every Christian should go vote. It's, yeah. it's, it's a good that they can do. I think the most important decisions we'll make in this election are down ticket, not top ticket. I think we put... Uh, we, we don't put nearly enough attention on the robust uh, role of civil society, local 
uh, a strong government, local strong uh, voluntary associations. All the advances of the pro-life movement have happened locally in the last 10 years. All the challenges to religious freedom have started locally in the last five years. So we've got to deal with the local thing. And so we've got to vote. We've got to deal with the local thing. But overall, um, what this election has you know, has, um, has shown about America, uh, I think it's pretty troubling. I don't think any of us are going to go to the poll and jump around. I mean, maybe Ann Coulter is, but I think the rest of us are going to go, and, 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 and there's going to be a kind of a – Okay, this is what we've got, and and clearly something is not okay. Yeah, yeah, no, and and Coulter, I'm, she was cracking me up this morning. She said that Trump's Mexico speech yesterday was this best speech ever given in history. I just kind of had to chuckle at that this morning. I'm partial to like the Gettysburg Address, you know, Washington's inaugural, some of those <laughs> myself. But you know, we'll let her have have her moment there of of happiness. Um, but I, you know, I think you're right. I don't think there's anyone. I think everyone is taking this election pretty seriously. And something that's troubled me is that, especially it seems those on the right, conservatives, everybody, regardless of whether you like the candidate who shall remain nameless or not, both sides are pointing fingers and blaming someone else for a loss that hasn't happened and how the world's going to come to an end if this person or that person wins and you're going to be responsible for it or you're going to be responsible for it. And, you know, I, I take a step back and I look at all this and I say, have we not just succumbed yet again to the lie that politicians in Washington, D.C., that they are the root of our problems and therefore they can fix them instead of looking at maybe what is our actual problem? Yeah, I think that's right. I, the, 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 you know, a quirky French theologian named Jacques Ellul called that the political illusion, where we say that, you know, essentially all problems are political, all solutions are political. Um, I, I think, um, and he also said, you know, that, that we tend to measure um, uh, success politically by whether our side is in power mm. as opposed to how much power the state has and uh and so on and, and look I, I don't i don't question i don't question the importance of this election it is right. important i think right. it's signifying some incredibly important things i'm much more concerned about what the church is going to look like coming out the, the back side of this whether because what needs to happen is a rebuilding of society from the middle out not from the top down mm-hmm. um the um I think, you know, in particular, the thing that's alarmed me is the number of politicians we hear these days. And that's actually the first thing that I look for in a candidate is when they get up, you know, who, what do they say the problem is and who do they say is responsible for fixing it? If, if, if they are the only ones that can fix it, that's a big red flag on, on any side. Um, if, if there's no space created, I mean, the most the most important problems we have as a society, the government can't fix. Uh, we need the family to fix them. We need the church to fix them. We need local strong voluntary associations uh, to, to to fix them. And we, what we need are candidates that are willing and able to create space for some of these other institutions to flourish. Yeah. That's so well said, and I I know your time is so valuable. I I promised I wouldn't keep you long, but I do want to touch on one more topic quickly before I let you go, if if I may, uh, because I saw you post on Facebook the other day, and I was like, yes, and then I thought, no, I already booked him to talk about this, but I want him to talk about this now, so we're just going to do both. But it was uh, it was Monday's Breakpoint. You talked about finding your calling calling in an age of entitlement, and that one was just, it was so good. And uh, you said that following your passions is advice that many college students hear, and since everybody's headed back to college now, everybody's hearing this, and this is what they're thinking about when they're considering their future careers. But you, so that you have a different piece of advice, what would that be? (laughs) 
Well, I think God gives us passion, so don't get me wrong. I think God gives us, uh, and I've thought on this for a long time, but, but you know, in the middle of this, there has to be this well-formed heart, as Dallas Willard would say, this character, that just is willing to do the hard right next thing. Uh, what happens is, is when we talk so much about, you know, our kind of our, our, our passions, and, and for, first of all, let's be honest. Uh, people in other parts of the world don't have that luxury. Right. So that's one of the things about living in the great country that we do is that we have that sort of luxury. Although, you know, economically over the last five years, we haven't had that sort of luxury right out of college. But, um, uh, but, 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 you know, people that are in the middle of civil wars and, you know, things like that, they're not having this sort of conversation. They're just trying to survive. But, but along these lines, it, it's kind of a, a characteristic of adolescence to have this sense of entitlement, that if, if I want it, I deserve it. If I want it, I, I'm owed it. And I think that's the way it's been in kind of even following calling. And I, I following calling, and I, I've been guilty of that, kind of limiting calling to just what I want to do rather than just having sometimes to do the right next thing, the character. To do, I tell you what, you know, Crystal, what's, what's uh, it, to, to, for a fun here, crystallize this in my own mind, <laughs> is having daughters. I have three daughters, and I, you know, I was like, well, who do I want you know, to come courting for them and, and wanting to ask me for their hand. Do I want someone who will follow his passions? Well, I don't want someone who knows who he is and is clear on that, sure. But I also want someone that if that he needs to, will get his tail out of bed and mow the grass and, and go deliver newspapers or do whatever it takes to put food on the table, right? And so there's there's this there's this calling that Christians, that, that people have, but I think specifically Christians, not just for what they're going to do one day, but the next thing. How are they going to handle the next decision, the next opportunity, the next crisis, the next need? And when we become people who can do the next thing well, uh, we become people who will then do the next thing well and the next thing well. And pretty soon, I think at that point, we're walking into our callings in pretty powerful ways. Yeah, it's kind of like that. uh, Once upon a time, I read something about being faithful in little and then eventually being faithful in much, I think it's it's similar to to that is is where you're going, and I I like what you said that you compared it to some guy come calling courting for your daughters. I like that you use the word term courting too, because other than my dad, I really don't know anyone that says that anymore. Um, but yeah, you don't want a guy that's like my passion is football. You know, I was second string in high school, and this is what I love, and someday I'm going to do that. Well, no, you're you're probably not. So maybe you should look <laughs> beyond that. It's like I'm not going to go. I shouldn't even try out for the opera because that's not going to work out for me. Even if I was passionate about it, it's not going to happen. There's not going to be any level of success there. But what has God given me to do now? What talents has God given me? What what can I do right now? That's that's really that's it. And I think you know, we make what is God's will for my life so complicated when it really it doesn't have to be that way. Yeah, that's that's right. And I and actually I think these two commentaries, by the way, are connected. Uh because I think uh as we look at, you know, what's happening in this election season and you know, if we get the candidates we deserve, we're we're by and large, um a culture of perpetual adolescence. Mm. Um, you know, this inability to really grow up and, and take personal responsibility and move forward. Uh, and so what we, we resort to is either entitlement or, or, or anger and um, because we're not getting what we deserve or what we want. And, and really the problem's not out there. The problem's in is it, local. And so the opportunities, I think, are, are there as well. So I hope no one hears me saying, let's, let's get out of this election season. And absolutely not. Stay in the game. Go vote. Do the right thing. Uh, and that's part of doing the right next thing as well. Uh, you know, there, there's a good bit of repair that needs to happen, a good bit of reimagining what it means to be an American, uh, and uh, particularly for Christians, what it means to be a Christian American. 
and uh, and that, that all needs to, to, to take place. But it, it, you know, there's not going to be any salvation that's going to be coming on Air Force One anytime soon. It's uh, it's it, it's looking to I think the, the the strength of the church and the strength of uh, the the family and the influence of the local community that ends up um, uh, becoming uh, something that can uh, do works of restoration uh, for for this country. Is, uh, that's how I see it. Yeah, and that's so well said. You know, our Savior already came. His name is Jesus Christ, but we have to find a balance. That doesn't mean that we get to stay home and not be good citizens and exercise our right to vote. You know, if Christians, if just Christians would vote, it would be amazing what we could do from the local level all the way uh, to the top. So thank you, John, for that insight. I appreciate you and everything that you do. Where can people find you online? They can find me at breakpoint.org, breakpoint.org. And, of course, you can always follow me on Twitter. That's where I get myself in trouble. At uh, who doesn't though? Handles. Who doesn't get well, themselves I in know, trouble on Twitter? <laughs> yeah, <laughs> at JP Stone Street. At JP Stone Street. JP Stone Street. Awesome. Thank you so much, John. I hope you have a fantastic day. Really appreciate you taking time to join us this morning. You bet. Thanks for having me on. God yep. bless. Thanks. You too. All right, we're going to take a break. We're going to play Chris Tomlin with Greater, and we'll be back in just a minute. Don't go away. And we are back. This is KVXL 101.1 FM, Experience Liberty Radio in Las Vegas. We're streaming online at KVXL101.com. All right, so anytime I have someone like John Stone Street on the show, it makes me excited. You guys get excited. And then people start saying, why did you let him go? Why didn't you ask him this? Why didn't you, why didn't you keep talking to him? And I have to say, well, the thing is, when I have people like that on the show, uh, they have a lot of important things they're doing and other things that they need to do so until our audience grows and our reach grows i i can't keep them longer so if you want guests like john more often and you want me to be able to keep them longer then you can help make that happen okay what we need to do is our our itunes account has to grow our soundcloud plays have to grow uh, you got to share the show with your friends neighbors relatives enemies neighborhood anyone you can think of really if you, the more people you can get to listen, the more people like John we can have on, and we can start having them on even longer. And I really appreciate him taking time to be here as the president of the Colson Center. He is a incredibly busy man, but one of my favorite speakers. Go find some Stone Street stuff on YouTube and just watch it. I guarantee you will be blessed, challenged, encouraged, inspired, fantastic. While you're there, you can also look for his one of his colleagues that he works with at uh, Summit Ministries in Colorado uh, named Dr. Jeff Myers. Incredible speaker, especially to students. If you have high school students and you're homeschooling, because then you might have you know more time for them to watch something like this on YouTube during the day, find some Jeff Myers talks on YouTube and have them watch them. I'm telling you, you will thank me later, and you don't even have to thank me. Just go, just go make that happen. All right, so remember the gorilla that was uh, shot at the Cincinnati Zoo, Harambe. Well, <laughs> the poor Cincinnati Zoo. I, I, we talked about Harambe once upon a time. If you want to listen to the episode where we talked about Harambe, it was actually the episode where we had uh, comedian John Christ on a couple of months ago. Uh, you can go and you can find that on iTunes or SoundCloud. You can listen to that. So I'm not going to get into the whole should they have shot the gorilla debate again. Short answer, Yes. But ever since then, Cincinnati Zoo, their Twitter account has just been under constant bombardment by people, some of whom are serious, many of whom are just <laughs> playing into the situation. But 
anything that the Cincinnati Zoo would tweet, every single answer would come back about Harambee. Like, they tweeted something about having, like, a 5K that was starting at the zoo, and Twitter just explodes. Well, you know, Harambee was training for his 5K. He was going to have a personal best, but you shot him. Or, we're going to have 4th of July fireworks at the Cincinnati Zoo. Well, you know, Harambee, fireworks were his favorite, but you shot him. Like, every... Everything they tweeted, no matter what it was, the internet would explode with people just harassing them about this gorilla. So now, the Philadelphia Zoo, which if you're in Pennsylvania, I'd encourage you to go check it out, especially in the winter. At least when I was a kid, it used to be free. I think Tuesdays maybe in the winter were free to go to the zoo uh, in Philadelphia. So I, I went a few times to take advantage of that with my family didn't really have a choice because, you know, I was a kid. Parents said we were going to the zoo because the zoo was free. But it was okay because I really liked it. Anyway, the Philadelphia Zoo has had a baby gorilla. So apparently they haven't been following this thing in Cincinnati, I guess. They, maybe they don't know about Harambee. But they decide to post on their social media that they are going to have a baby gorilla naming contest. Send us all your ideas. Give you two guesses as to what has happened online since the Philadelphia Zoo announced that they would be letting the public name the baby gorilla. Yeah, it's all about Harambee. So, like, mere hours after announcing it, the Philadelphia Zoo's like, okay, guys, all right, so here's what's actually going to happen. What's actually going to happen is we are going to pick, like, five names, and then you guys can vote on them. And everybody's like, but Harambee would have loved to be a father. And you should name the baby gorilla Harambee. <laughs> Feel bad for the Philadelphia Zoo. They have just opened a massive can of baby gorilla. Or whatever else you'd like to call it. And that's all the time we have left for today. This is the Frittle Show on KVXL 101.1 FM in Las Vegas. We're streaming online, like I just said a couple minutes ago. KVXL101.com. 24 hours a day, 7 days a week. You can catch us there. Or pick up past episodes of the show on iTunes or SoundCloud. Just search for The Friddle Show. We'll be back tomorrow. We're going to give stuff away. Friend Day is coming up. So tomorrow's going to be all about friends. Tomorrow we're going to have friend trivia. Trivia about you and your friends. Probably not like what's your best friend's favorite color because then you could send me any color and I wouldn't know if the answer was correct or not because I don't know who your best friend is. But there will be some kind of friend-related trivia. We'll talk about friend day. We'll talk about friendship. It will be, in many ways, epic. Possibly life-changing. So don't miss it. But for now, this is Testify to Love from the Chebaratev Youth. These guys, I wish they would sing more because... I really enjoy them, and I hope you do too. We'll see you back here tomorrow.